0: You're listening to this week's episode of Macquarie Street Matters, a podcast about the personalities and events in the New South Wales Parliament here in Sydney with Alistair Hinskins. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Macquarie Street Matters and I'm here with uh, Steph Labar. Steph, an interesting week this week in the New South Wales Parliament because We haven't been sitting for the purposes of passing legislation but the Upper House committees have been conducting what's known as budget estimates and that is that committees of the Upper House actually get to ask questions, some might say interrogate, the Premier and the Ministers on issues relating to their portfolio and the impacts upon the budget. We kicked off this week with the Deputy Premier... Uh, Prukar, who was forensically examined by Sarah Mitchell, the former Education Minister. But before we get into some of the highlights with regard to budget estimates, a Environment and Planning Committee of the Upper House met on Friday and decided that they would conduct an inquiry into the transport-oriented program, which is the very contentious planning proposals around 31 railway stations in Newcastle, Sydney, Wollongong and the Central Coast. And it's decided that it will undertake an inquiry into matters such as the probity matters that were put in place by the government, the Premier's Department, the Cabinet Office and the department around the TOD, or the, which is the acronym for the Transport-Oriented Development Programme. It's going to look at property disclosure requirements and management, the release of information prior to the official publication of the TOD and also it's going to look at the ad- adequacy of measures to deter and punish the misuse of confidential, market-sensitive government information and the future processes that should be put in place. These are matters that are all off the back of the matters that I raised in Parliament.
1: Is this the inquiry that you were calling for?
0: Well, it it isn't exactly the inquiry that I wanted. What I thought we should have is a full independent judicial inquiry and that's what I asked for in Parliament because I said in Parliament that we needed to understand the extent to which this planning official that I uh, spoke about in Parliament was acting alone and also I said in Parliament, what are other planning officials might be doing independently of the planning official that I spoke about? So they were all matters that I raised in Parliament. I told Parliament that we wanted a wide-ranging inquiry. The government... Really kick the ball into the long grass of ICAC, which, as we know from Gladys Berichicklian, probably means that we won't see anything publicly for years to come. And so, this inquiry, this upper house inquiry, is a good second best in the sense that they will be able to conduct inquiries in public, they will be able to obtain relevant documents. Uh, The only issue is that Upper House MPs are busy with a whole range of things and so when you have an independent inquiry, they can be fully resourced and focused on getting to a quick investigation into the issues. That's why I was calling for that type of an inquiry. Under the terms of reference, the Planning and Environment Committee will report back by the 27th of September. I think if we'd had a more dedicated inquiry with an ex-judge conducting it. We could well have got a report back earlier than that and really I've called upon the implementation of these new planning changes to really await this investigation. Uh, In Parliament I said you couldn't have confidence that these new rules were coming out appropriately until such an inquiry took place.
1: I believe that the planning changes are meant to come in force as early as April of this year. Yes,
0: they are. That's what the government has said in their, in their documentation. The, the, the other thing that I should just reiterate is that under the Environmental Planning and Assessment Act, it really has a presumption of public consultation before a state environmental planning policy is put in place. The process for putting in a state environmental planning policy, which is what the proposed TOD will be, doesn't go through Parliament. It can't be disallowed by Parliament. It is recommended by the Minister to the Governor and then it becomes law. And under the Act, it really says, before you put in one of these state environmental planning policies, you really should have public consultation. And it's extraordinary that the Minister has actually exercised his discretion not to have public consultation. Given that these 31 tods will have a massive impact on probably billions of dollars of real estate within Sydney, Newcastle, Wollongong and the Central Coast, uh, I, I, it's it's inexplicable. I, I think it's actually unlawful that the Minister has decided not to have public consultation before rushing these changes through. And, and let's just remember... Uh, that it was released just before Christmas. Mm. I mean, the, the whole process seems to have been one designed to bury this from public scrutiny and public knowledge. And so suddenly people will just see strange things popping up in their street, the sorts of developments that had never been allowed previously and be asking themselves, what, what's going on?
1: How did this happen?
0: Yes, How did this happen? And, of course, these these changes are pretty much open slather. It turns off virtually all of the planning controls that have protected heritage, environment, character, amenity, taking into account the availability and the capacity of local infrastructure. All of these quite reasonable considerations that our planning laws currently have are all switched off in a way that, shows that Chris Minns and his government are really unreasonable in the way that they've gone about this.
1: So we know that the submissions closed on Friday for the low to medium rise housing planning changes. What in your submission have you asked for the government to do?
0: Well, I've really asked for the government to listen to the community I really ask for the government to take into account the great variety of places across Sydney and that this open slather approach doesn't recognize that infrastructure and character is different all over Sydney. I mean my big fear is that by not recognizing the diverse character of our city that what we are going to end up with under this policy is some uniform city um, similar to sort of a Westfield shopping centre where you can go into one Westfield shopping centre in one part of um, Australia and it looks like another. And indeed you can go into Westfield shopping centres in other parts of the world like England and the United States and, and they look like an Australian Westfield. This is the sort of bland uniformity that doesn't create rich and exciting and interesting cities. And it, it's, it's strange when the min's Government talks about, you know, so much about having vibrant nightlife and a vibrant Sydney, but yet in respect of housing, they want to destroy our heritage, our character and the community of our local neighbourhoods in this way. It, it's quite inexplicable.
1: And you've been at train stations in your electorate all week. You've had an online petition going for a number of weeks now, which I believe has gotten thousands of signatures already. What has the response been like from the people in your electorate?
0: I think people are really grateful that they see a community leader standing up for their neighbourhoods, for their communities, who value the actual things that make every community in our city terrific. And people have been very concerned. They've been very receptive and enthusiastic to sign the petition and to make their views known. And I think the interesting thing about this is that it doesn't matter whether you live in Western Sydney, the inner city, the outer ring of the city or, or on the North Shore or the northern beaches or the eastern suburbs, it doesn't matter where you live. The feeling of people wanting to protect and retain their unique communities is the same and they see this as an attack on their uh, unique neighborhoods and uh, communities.
1: So on Wednesday we saw the premier front up to budget estimates how did he perform?
0: Well look the the premier was actually completely caught off guard initially he was he was asked about the inflammatory comments of an Upper House member...
1: Which we spoke about last week. Yes.
0: And he was asked about whether Mr D'Adam should be remaining a parliamentary secretary. I mean, Mr D'Adam, on the sole say of the Premier, gets paid over $30,000 a year more to be a parliamentary secretary and yet he's made incendiary comments about Israel engaging in genocide and yet Chris Minns has not removed him. It became clear that he hasn't even spoken to him about those comments. He's conducted a kind of megaphone diplomacy where Chris Minns has made public statements without actually picking up the phone and talking to a member of his own team. So that was quite extraordinary. Uh, Then the Premier was asked about Tim Krakenthorpe. Now, can I just remind our listeners that Tim, Tim Crackenthorpe was sworn in as a minister after the election. He had what can be described as one of the shortest ministerial careers. The Labor Party are very good at having short ministerial careers. Mm-hmm. I b- do believe there was a police minister that only lasted about 24 hours after mm-hmm. he was sworn in in the former Labor government. Mr Crackenthorpe only barely lasted, I think, a few months before he was sacked and referred to the ICAC by the Premier. Now, the question was, what's he doing sitting in the Labor Party caucus? Why is he still sitting in the Labor Party caucus while ICAC are investigating his activities, alleged corrupt conduct? And, and the Premier was wholly unconvincing as to why he isn't sitting on the crossbench and sitting outside of the Labour caucus, why is Chris Mins relying upon someone who has a corruption cloud over them to be voting in Parliament and to be supporting him in the caucus?
1: What other questions did Chris Mins face on Wednesday?
0: Well, he was asked a question about the NZYQ case, which is a pretty notorious and much discussed case. Mm. And Chris Minns' reaction was, what does that acronym mean? And he seemed to slowly realise that it was the High Court decision that released asylum seekers who had committed very serious crimes, some of them. Some of them committed murder, sexual assault, pedophilia. And Chris Minns was really bamboozled about questions about the detail of this. He didn't know how many of those released asylum seekers with criminal convictions were in New South Wales. He didn't seem to know uh, any breakdown of the crimes that they had committed. That's quite scary. He seemed to be quite uh, fuzzy on the degree to which they were being appropriately supervised, whether they all had ankle bracelets, bracelets or not. All sorts of fundamental... Detail about public safety, mm. he was completely clueless about, which I found quite extraordinary.
1: That's worrying coming from the Premier of our state not to be across such important detail.
0: Well, look, you know, there are a few basic things that we expect from our governments. We expect our governments to look after public health, we expect our governments to look after personal safety. We expect our governments to educate our children and we expect governments to get us to and from work or assist us to get to and from work. So this public safety aspect where you're protecting people's personal security is fundamental to government and yet on a fundamental issue to government in respect of what has been a much-talked-about case and we saw extraordinarily slow reaction from the federal Labor government, mm. it seems as if we have a high degree of ill concern from Chris Minns and the state government.
1: Mm. It is quite concerning.
0: It is. And then the, the Premier, of course, was also asked some questions about Rose Hill Racecourse. Now, Steph, do you know what an unsolicited proposal is?
1: Tell me all about
0: it. Okay, well, usually government develops policy ideas within government and there's quite rigorous procedures by which proposals are considered. They take into account a whole range of factors and then when the public service presents those policy proposals to um, a minister or if a minister asks the department to investigate a policy proposal of a minister, it goes through the same process and then you get um, a result which then can go out to public consultation and you arrive on a position having listened to the community. And that can be that you'll build a piece of infrastructure or that you will build a stadium or build some schools or build some hospitals or whatever. The, the contrary way in which proposals can come forward is that actually the private sector come to government and say, I think it would be a really great idea if you paid us a whole lot of money for our asset. So in other words, the government wasn't thinking initially that they would do that proposal and it's, it's a proposal that's come unsolicited So the government's never initiated it as sort of an uninitiated proposal from outside of government. Now, of course, the corruption risks are huge because you can have donors, you can have mates, you can have associates of people who are your donors and mates. Make proposals to the government... And if there isn't a high level of discipline and scrutiny around that, then you can actually have the public purse being used to enrich other people. So the ICAC recognised this risk and put together some unsolicited proposal protocols which have then been put into government policy and they've been longstanding. And I guess the a few aspects of the policy that are particularly pertinent here, is that first of all there, there, there needs to be a uniqueness about the proposal because if, it, if it's just something like we think the government should buy their PPE from our company instead of the person who is your current supplier and they should be buying it at X dollars, that can seem like a real sweetheart deal where you could just go out to the market and get that product, take into account whoever comes forward with the best quality at the lowest price. So that's how government procurement usually operates. So unless something is unique, you should go out and do a market sounding. And and there's nothing absolutely unique, for example, about real estate. You could go out to Sydney and say we want twenty five. Thousand hectares for example for housing in Sydney and landholders can come forward and give their idea of location and price of their land and government could make a decision as to if they're going to acquire 25,000 hectares of land Where where would the best value for money be in providing that. So that is the way that unsolicited proposals There's supposed to be uniqueness and secondly when someone comes with an unsolicited proposal government is supposed to be very hands-off and have an open mind as all the way through the process that this will deliver the best value for money for the state so they're the unsolicited proposal principles the premier was then asked about rose hill race course the announcement that was made before christmas
1: that was to turn it into a mega city with an extra metro station with 25,000 homes?
0: That's right, 25,000 homes. And and I'm not sure what the size of the parcel of land was or is, but Chris Minns made an announcement saying, this is fantastic, we're, you know, we've signed a memorandum of understanding uh, we're going to do this. And it's since come out, not only in Chris Minns's Evidence to Budget Estimates, but also Joe Halen's, that this was a plan done on the back of an envelope. I mean, Joe Halen hadn't even seen the memorandum of understanding.
1: She's the Transport Minister.
0: That's right. And it was all supposed to be wrapped up with, a, with the announcement of a new metro stop. And, and And the other interesting thing about this is that the government was announcing that they were going to provide a piece of very expensive infrastructure being a new metro stop, which would greatly enhance the value of land of this unsolicited proposal which they were championing Mm. when in accordance with the unsolicited proposal guidelines they're supposed to be even-handed and not prejudged while they go through a very regimented process which quite clearly they hadn't gone through. So this could potentially be quite a major integrity scandal with regard to the state government that i think has a bit of running to go through because it seems as if chris minns is completely unaware of proper process that will ensure integrity in government when these things were pointed out to chris minns he of course backtracked on how certain it was that rosehill racecourse was actually going to be developed into housing which i think made it clear that it was an ill-thought-out preliminary idea rather than the done deal that he really tried to make out when he made the announcement prior to Christmas. I think because Crispin's had no agenda coming into government other than returning Labor to government after 12 years in opposition, he seems to be desperate to latch on to ideas and programs no matter how bad they are, and I think Rosehill Racecourse is a great example of that. I think the Todd planning changes, uh, the sort of the or the the anything goes planning policy, I think that they are good examples of very thinly thought out policy ideas which are going to rebound on the men's government.
1: We'll have to wait and see. Now moving on to uh, another minister who... F- Uh, faced budget estimates on Thursday was the Minister for Health, Ryan Parks. Something came out the morning of budget estimates showing that paediatric palliative care has been cut in the previous Labor budget. We all know that palliative care was cut substantially in Labor's first budget, but it's come out now that a lot of that funding includes paediatric palliative care as well. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, look, I personally actually quite like Ryan Park. I think he's a good person, but he's completely got himself into terrible knots. I don't know whether it's Ryan Park himself or whether he's having decisions from the Expenditure Review Committee of Cabinet being imposed on him and he's just got to effectively sell... He's got to sell terrible decisions in this area. The fact of the matter is that palliative care had been funded in record amounts by the Coalition during its 12 years in government, particularly when Dom Perrottet became Treasurer. He took on this issue with a great deal of passion. He seemed to recognise the importance of -of end-of-life care and, and I've got to give a shout out to Bronnie Taylor mm. who was uh, a palliative care nurse and who really understands this area and she was very effective in explaining the need for more funding to Dom Perate. and to Dom Perrottet's credit uh, he funded a number of initiatives which Bronnie Taylor had to help with palliative care and, and there were the increase in palliative care nurses And then when the voluntary assisted dying came in, Dom Perrottet said that he would fund palliative care like it hadn't been funded before. And so there was a massive uptick in funding for palliative care under the Coalition. I think it's something that Bronnie and Dom and the whole of the Coalition should be very proud of in terms of that funding. Now, what happened in November last year was that Palliative care cuts seem to be the words that Ryan Park could not speak Mm. and he denied in November last year in Budget Mm -hmm. Estimates that there had been any cuts to palliative care.
1: And he did the same on Thursday as
0: well. Yes, and that is a real problem because Ryan is a good person but he shouldn't be trying to pretend that things are not happening in his portfolio that are clearly happening. And and then he was confronted with the fact that paediatric... So these are kids, Mm. paediatric palliative care, you know, dying children and making dying children comfortable, as comfortable as they can be through palliative care, that there had been cuts. Mm. The overall cuts are a quarter of a billion dollars of which that includes cuts to palliative care for our children as well as palliative care for our adults. It's incredibly heartless. It's extraordinary that that is an area that needed to be cut. I should point out that the Treasury had gifted the Minn's Labor Government about $7 billion of extra revenue than they had told the coalition only months before the state election was actually going to be received by the state government through stamp duty. The men's government had this windfall of revenue coming into government that no one expected and revenue which had been unallocated. So to suggest that they had to cut a f- small fraction of that extra revenue uh, from palliative care It's just a complete and utter nonsense. And whoever made that decision should bow their head in shame because it is a terrible decision. It is striking at the uh, most vulnerable of our community in a horrible way. And it would be nice to see Chris Minns and Ryan Park show some leadership on this issue and to restore the quarter of a billion dollars in funding that has been cut. So, Steph, that's a very sombre note, I suppose, to end this week's episode of Macquarie Street Matters. Of course, budget estimates are continuing, so there will be more budget estimates in the coming week. I think we can anticipate more interesting issues being raised. We've got the planning minister who will be giving evidence on Tuesday, and we have other ministers... We really are going to see some of the weaker performers in the government that still have to front up to budget estimates. I must say, I actually miss not doing budget estimates as a minister. I mean, it's a great opportunity for you to be able to uh, explain the policies, the implementation of policies to the, the community And to Parliament. Uh, And it's difficult to understand why the men's Ministry seems to be making so much of a meal of the opportunity to do that.
1: Well, we look forward to being joined by the Shadow Minister for Planning, Scott Farlow, on the next episode of Macquarie Street Matters, where I'm sure you will dive into more of the issues with this whole housing planning policy and look at the budget estimates performance of the Minister for Planning.
0: And look, yes, thank you, Steph. We, we will do that and, and we'll have an opportunity to talk some more about the men's government's open slather on planning, heritage, environment and amenity of our neighbourhoods. And can I just encourage our listeners to go online to my website, uh, alistairhenskins.com.au, and sign my petition. The petition with regard to the men's government's planning policies simply seeks some pretty reasonable things. Uh, it seeks that, in relation to these proposed changes to policy, that the men's government undertake a proper process of consulting directly with communities, working with each local council to understand each community. It asks the government to protect natural and built heritage, to maintain the tree canopy wildlife and environment of our local communities and to invest in all necessary new and additional infrastructure as part of their planning policies. These are all things that are actually, that's been missing so far. We've had, as I've discussed, only limited consultation. We haven't had any consultation on the TOD. We've had pretty truncated and it would seem disingenuous consultation on the lower medium rise housing. And there certainly hasn't been any working with local councils consideration of heritage and environment and wildlife and so on that's been part of this process so far. So I'd encourage our listeners to get on my website, go to the...
1: The useful links part of Alistair's website. That's right. You can also visit his Facebook and Instagram pages for the links to his petition as well.
0: Yep, And, and so to get on those, sign the petition... Thousands of people in Sydney have already and we want more and more people to sign that petition. I, know you, you know me. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Macquarie Street Matters and I look forward to you joining us again next week.